Welcome back to MERS Monday for more than 10 years, the Michigan political podcast. In this week's edition, MERS News names its political figure of the year for 2022. It's an award recognizing the entity in Michigan politics that was the most effective, active, and impactful during the calendar year. U.S. Rep-elect John James reacts to the pushback against Republican leader Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker in 2023. Donald Trump suggesting the Constitution be suspended and if James is moving to Macomb County. And State Rep-elect Jamie Thompson talks about the need to end political infighting among Republicans in Wayne County and across the state. She says the party needs a leader, not 10 candidates for Republican chair. Now, here's MERS News Editor Kyle Malin, along with MERS John Ruhrink and Samantha Schreiber. Thank you, Mark Bayshore. We've got an action-packed edition of MERS Monday coming at you. We're going to be naming our political figure of the year for year 2022. For this segment of the podcast, though, I've got John Ruhrink and also on the other end, Samantha Schreiber. And uh, we're going to bring in our first guest. It is the new congressman out of the 10th Congressional District. It is John James. He's going to be representing most of the Macomb County, Rochester, Rochester Hills in the 23-24 Congressional Session. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, Representative-elect John James. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, everybody out there listening, happy holidays. Congressional member-elect John James, uh, you got to be pretty excited by this. It's uh, kind of your focus going into this job. What are, you, what are you hoping to accomplish in your first term as a member of Congress? Yeah, I'm going to be focused on uh, working with anybody who's going to help us move the ball forward. Uh, the people who elected me in uh, Macomb County and Rochester and Rochester Hills are are so tired of the political bickering and, and the partisan BS. Uh, they want somebody who's going to uh, to pull together, work with everyone uh, to to accomplish mission. And uh, when I talk to folks in district, the uh, the issues that are most important are, are lowering prices uh, and bringing back jobs. And uh, that's kind of in line with my uh, with my top priorities. Um, bringing back manufacturing jobs, uh, aiding common sense transition. Um, um, to uh, to EVs in the automotive industry, uh, harnessing uh, the great power, the arsenal of democracy, arsenal of innovation, um, having self-assured National Guard base and, uh, and, and arsenal of democracy uh, in the same district for the first time. And Selfridge, uh, that's a, a very, it's a very uh, key uh, aspect, of not just uh, the district, but the other uh, state and the region, uh, making sure we not only protect the missions we have, but get uh, current and future missions to come um, for our national defense and also for economic development. And uh, last, but certainly not least, uh, protecting our water, uh, whether it's uh, inland waterways, Lake St. Clair, or the water we drink, uh, there's going to be a, a huge focus placed on, on making sure that we're good stewards of the water we're given. So uh, just as simply, uh, manufacturing, uh, uh, military, and water. Congressman-elect, I want to ask you real quickly, obviously the big issue you're going to face right out of the gate is electing a new speaker. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, last I heard, still doesn't have the votes that he needs necessarily to secure that. Uh, I assume you're supporting him. What do you think? Is the caucus going to come together? Is there going to be enough cohesiveness to sort of really get things done? Uh, in, in Absolutely. Washington? Absolutely. In, in, the, uh, in the past weeks, uh, I've noticed uh, Kevin McCarthy um, has put the work in. But I think he's winning over the, 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 uh, the entire conference with his level of uh, emotional intelligence and how he's dealing with these matters. He's been so effective that he was recently, um, frankly, supported by uh, um, uh, conservative commentators. Mark Levin, 
uh, recently called uh, the folks on the on the on the far right the uh, the five saboteurs. Uh, I think that Kevin is putting the uh, the legwork in um, to, uh, to to make sure that we are having the the rules changes uh, that will allow the conference to be more efficient uh, without sacrificing our ability to accomplish mission for the American people, regardless of what party we're in. Because that that's the goal, right? The goal is not to is not to do anything other than uh, to satisfy our oath. Um, and to make sure that we do things like I'm focused on doing, like bringing down prices, making our community safer, uh, and, and bringing jobs back. So uh, I've, everything I've seen from Kevin uh, is, is uh, that he has the ability uh, to stay focused on the mission, not get distracted by the uh, distractions on the extremes of either party, uh, and make sure we stay focused on keeping our nation safe. So this is obviously a brand new district. Uh, my question for you is how closely did you monitor the redistricting process and what made you think that this district was the best fit for you? Well, um, we, um, this is a conversation I had with my wife um, and, and we, we looked at, at this um, and the goal has always been to, uh, to serve. And uh, when I looked at this opportunity to serve again, um, I, I looked and I saw, uh, given my background as a business leader uh, with uh, uh, the, the economy, with uh, both the small business and, and defense and, and automotive, uh, being a, a family uh, supply chain automotive guy, I felt like I could help and contribute immediately to this district. And when you take a look at the fact that you have an Air National Guard base in the district with that military uh, back uh, and also a high veteran population, uh, being a combat veteran myself, uh, understanding the struggles that veterans go through, uh, not only uh, reacclimating to society, but also with uh, substance abuse. This is uh, an area that I th felt like I could uh, I could sympathize with, and I could bring uh, um, I could bring um, my service and background and experience to bear. Um, this is an area that uh, that is 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 very blue collar. There's a very high immigrant population. And I understand what it means for so many families who have come to this, this state, to this district specifically, uh, to have a shot at the American dream, uh, just like my family uh, came from the Jim Crow South uh, to, uh, to, uh, to the Detroit area to have a shot at the American dream, to work hard. And as a result of manufacturing, uh, we're able to, uh, to have a better life. But when you look around, uh, there are so many people who are seeing the middle class being cratered, uh, seeing opportunity um, fleeting. And, uh, and, and having somebody who has the, the experience, the wherewithal, uh, and, and frankly, uh, will never give up, uh, I, I think is needed. Um, I'm so grateful uh, for, the, uh, for the people of uh, Macomb County and Rochester, Rochester Hills, uh, willingness to give me a chance. And uh, I promise to do everything I possibly can not to let you down. And then, uh, obviously, this district is um, different than the area where you live. Are you planning on moving then into the 10th district? Absolutely. We're very, very excited uh, to, uh, to become your neighbor, and, um, and uh, there'll be more on that soon. John, I wanted to ask you about the future of the Republican Party. There's a lot of angst about where the party is going right now. What's kind of your vision for what the party's going to do, and who's going to be the leader of the party in Michigan? I'm the only Republican in Congress from Southeast Michigan, and I will be the last if Republicans don't learn from their mistakes, stop the infighting, and support the most conservative candidate who can win each district and the most conservative policies that can pass the legislature. I can't overstate it enough. Anyone, anyone who will put ideological purity over winning elections, anyone who will put their egos over the people uh, is not fit to lead. 
uh, I'm willing to work with anybody uh, who uh, recognizes uh, the priority of the mission is to help people, uh, not self-aggrandize. And, uh, and I'm excited uh, to, uh, to lead by example. On Saturday, uh, former President Trump tweeted that the Constitution should be suspended in light of the Twitter uh, revelations of Friday. Should the Constitution be suspended, Mr. Dames? <laughs> I think you know better than that. Um, I, I think you know better than that. That's kind of a crap question. But uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to answer it head on. Uh, I swore an oath to the Constitution, not to any party or person. I've said that many, many times. And a man who would dispense with the Constitution can't be trusted to, uh, to defend it. Uh, I've said many, many times that I can agree with Trump without worshiping him and I can disagree without attacking him. Um, but I put my life on the line for the Constitution. And, uh, and, and that is very important. Uh, the Constitution is bigger than, uh, than, than anyone in this country. And it's what's held us together. In fact, uh, I think it's uh, uh, having more people uh, who, who, are, um, uh, who are willing to stand up and, uh, and, and, and say that is, is what's needed. Uh, again, um, I can't I can't overstate uh, the Constitution is a document that uh, that has survived centuries because we've all agreed to set aside our differences to uh, to protect it. And uh, and I stand uh, in support of the Constitution now and in the future. And Trump, he endorsed your uh, U.S. Senate campaigns. He also endorsed his congressional campaign. Uh, do you plan on backing any candidates for the 2024 presidential election? Look, I haven't even sworn in for uh, for the 118th Congress. Let's get to that first. Um, I, um, yeah, my focus is going to be on, uh, on doing what I can do to uh, represent the people of the 10th District. Um, that, frankly, uh, I think that politicians do a terrible job of uh, nonstop campaigning and not getting the work done. I think that's sickening, and uh, people have lost faith in politicians for the exact fact. Um, uh, Joe Biden was just in uh, in Michigan last week, and many commentators and, and journalists uh, said that um, that it sounded much more like a campaign speech than anything else. I think that's sad. I think people deserve more uh, than, uh, than than campaign speeches um, every every other day. Uh, again, my focus is on uh, bringing back jobs, making our community safer, and uh, and making sure that our families uh, can can feel. Uh, that, that they can have a shot at the American dream. We'll, we'll leave 2024 for 2024. It's literally still 2022, guys. Do you think that we've turned the page, uh, or let me put it this way, do you believe the Republican Party has turned the page on the beliefs that election security is uh, in doubt and that uh, Donald Trump lost the election in 2020 due to uh, widespread fraud? Um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the past, but I do believe it is proper for the government to uh, to make sure that the people can trust their elections. And right now, whether uh, whether some folks agree or not, there are too many people in the state of Michigan uh, who do not believe that that we had a free and fair election. Um, me, um, I, I believe that uh, that Joe Biden is our president. And I am member-elect of Congress in the 10th Congressional District, and I'm focusing forward. Uh, focusing forward is the only thing that's going to get us out of the quagmire of these, uh, these inflation rates that are hurting American families. Um, jobs that are continuing to grow uh, and middle classes that are continuing to grow overseas and, and not in our own backyards. And our communities where people feel less safe. Let's focus on the future. Let's focus forward and let's work 
uh, with everyone in both parties to make sure that it happens. We have to serve the people. And, uh, and, and dwelling in the past is not doing anything for that. All right, John James, he is a member of Congress-elect uh, representing the 10th District Republican, and we appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Join us now on the podcast is the new state rep elect for the 28th House District. It is Jamie Thompson. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Jamie, you're one of two members on the Republican side who won legislative seats in the Downriver area. This working class area has traditionally been a Democratic stronghold. This is where John Dingell made his political career, and yet there seems to be a trend toward Republicans. Why is that? Well, I think first and foremost, my district in the Downriver community felt very abandoned for a long time by the party. And I think that they started to speak up. They started to engage in politics. They started to pay more attention to what was going on in local government and our schools. And they started to shout that we have a voice and no one is listening to us. And in doing so, we got people activated and people engaged and we started making a difference and it encouraged other people to jump on and make a difference. And we have a very strong conservative voice in Downriver. And I think that that's what pushed us across the finish line. Downriver's always been conservative, but it's always been a, a conservative Democrat. Why, why do you think the switch or the movement away from the Democrats to the Republicans? Um, I believe that it had a lot to do with, in all actuality, you said it perfectly, um, the moderate. Um, we felt like both sides were going extremely left and extremely right. And we wanted common sense legislation. We want good quality jobs. We support unions, but we don't believe that that is the sole purpose of our community. We have a lot of other people that are involved in different types of work. We have a lot of small business owners and people just want common sense solutions to their kitchen table issues. And that's what we're doing. We're working very hard to help our, we have a lot of different socioeconomic classes downriver. And right now we have a lot of families that are struggling and it felt like no one was listening to them. They were very focused on Detroit being in Wayne County. And um, for the past two years, since I've, it's very short time I've been involved in politics. I don't have a political background, neither does my family. I am a nurse and I'm from a family of nurses. And advocacy is very important to me and my family. And when you look at the different socioeconomic classes across our district, in Wayne County, they weren't paying attention to Downriver. They were focused on Detroit and we're very different from Detroit. And people wanna make that clear. Uh, we, have, we are a different culture Downriver and they were tying us into Detroit too much, and we felt like our voices weren't being heard. When you ran, you were probably were expecting to be part of a, a Republican majority since, I mean, the Republicans have had kind of a hegemony in the legislature for a little bit. Uh, what's your reaction to being a member of the minority caucus? Does that change your excitement for the job at all? In some ways, in some ways it has. Um, I looked at, like, it was a huge disappointment. Um, I was very vocal about when I got the phone call the morning after that I had won. 
Um, I will be 100% honest. I cried, but I didn't cry out of happiness that I won. I cried because we lost our state. Uh, We lost some races that I feel we could have won. And then I realized that ultimately maybe things needed to crumble for us to rebuild. And then I realized that being in the minority gives me the opportunity to spend more time in my district, to hear from the people in my district on both sides of the aisle. And I believe that's how I won my race because it's very important for me to listen to people. And I let people know at the doors, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative Christian woman, but I know how to advocate for people. And what is important to you has to be important to me because how will I represent a 50-50 district if I don't hear your concerns? And I don't respect your concerns and I don't work for you. So I'm excited to have that opportunity to be in my district and to get to know the people in our local municipalities and school boards and superintendents and take that message on what is going to actually bring down river into the limelight and take that message to Lansing. So I'm perfectly okay with being in the minority right now. You talked about some of the issues that you believe united people across different socioeconomic, socioeconomic classes. And while you were knocking on doors, could you touch on what some of those key issues are, you believe? Well, I, I was listening to John James. And I, if you saw me, I was shaking my head. I agreed with so much of what he had to say. Families are suffering financially right now. And in the in the House of Representatives at a state level, there is not a ton that I can do. I'm looking to John James and people in our federal government to help us get through this recession that we know we're in. Um, right now, the people in the community, their concerns are that small business owners are consistently hiring, but no one is applying for the jobs. And when I talked to small business owners, I wanted to know where that was coming from. Why did they feel that everyone is hiring, but nobody is working? And we know that unemployment is over for the majority of people that got the pandemic unemployment. Yet you see, you go down any any area in my district and all you see is now hiring signs. So in talking with small business owners, they have a very hard time with retention. They have a very hard time with people that want to come in from high school and have been told by the social media or Facebook that they deserve to make $15 an hour and they're 15 years old. And these small businesses are telling me, I can't hire a 15 year old at $15 an hour to be a busboy. So they're consistently still closing their businesses early because they don't have enough staff. So we have to find out how can we get people back working? What is the path to independence? We don't have a shortage of jobs. I feel like we have a shortage of opportunists. And that goes back to our families and how we're raising our children and teaching them that you don't start at the the top of the ladder. You know, true hard work means that you start and you work your way up. And um, we had a lot of discussions about that. We had discussions, obviously, about the cost of groceries. Um, I am a family of five with my three grandchildren and my grocery bill went from 250 a week to 500 a week. Um, they're very concerned about that. Gas is coming down a little bit. So people are feeling a little bit of that relief. I'm interested in, in how you got into politics because you said you don't come from a political family. So what was it that got you involved? How long ago are we talking? Okay. So it was 2020. So in 2020, um, I was working as a wound care nurse and, um, COVID hit and I, The way I was trained as a nurse, I'm gonna be totally honest with you, I did not like the way it was handled. I did not appreciate or respect in taking my oath to do no harm. 
I was not okay with turning patients away for symptoms that I knew we could have treated. And I know that everyone was new to what was going on and there was a lot of unsurety and we were figuring things out as we were going on. Um, I chose to walk away from nursing to support my daughter who her children were on Zoom and she was in nursing school as well. And I thought that I could be of more help with my family and how was this gonna play out with what was going on and things that we were learning. So my focus was my family and my grandchildren and my daughter. So they moved back home and we started helping them. Then I started watching, we were home. So I started watching the news and I was not a news person. I wasn't politically engaged. I wasn't voting. And I knew I always had conservative values. I'm a, I'm a very strong Christian woman, but I just started saying, what is going on in our country? I didn't even know who the left was, who the right was. I had never heard of BLM. I never heard of people hating our country. And I started to just start speaking up that this is crazy. America is the greatest country in the, the whole world. And we are a country of opportunity. And then I started looking into who's my leader, who, who's my representative and um, started finding out that I didn't see eye to eye with the way that they were representing me. And when I went to them about my concerns, I was made to feel that I didn't have a voice. So then I started getting involved in, um, at that time in 2020, John Poe was running for the 23rd district, which was now redistricted. And I got involved in his campaign. And then I started seeing, wow, there is a lot of propaganda and corruption on both sides of these political aisles. And then why do we wait till the last minute to start seeking out candidates, looking for candidates, supporting candidates, and getting people involved two years before an election? I thought, this is nonsense. I'm not even a political person. I'm just volunteering. But hey, we could have did a lot more work instead of waiting started an organization called Michigan Leadership Group. And our main focus and our goal was to get Christian conservatives elected into office locally and get people engaged in what was going on, engaged in going to city council meetings, engaged in school board meetings. And that spun off into me not getting a lot of support from my party still in Wayne County. So I started going around the state of Michigan and I started connecting with other people and seeing how they were doing things. And then I jumped from that, that concept of getting involved in local government to when we got redistricted and I was calling the party and asking who was running, who was the candidate, who were we going to support? And there was crickets. So I stood up and I said, I, I think that this needs to be me. And there's, you know, I talked with um, Mers prior about lots of the components with losing my daughter and raising my grandchildren and knowing that God had placed it on me to be the one that stood up to do this. And um, right now, um, my my husband is taking a lot of the responsibility on being the primary caregiver to our grandchildren. Um, I think our generation being I'm 46 and he's 55, we're having a really hard time finding a babysitter for anything. <laughs> right. Even if I'm like talking to everyone, does anyone know a teenager? Does anyone know, you know, maybe someone who's retired, um, so it's uh, if something has to be done, I have to go do it and he has to stay with the kids. So right now, I do not see if there is any future for Michigan Leadership Group. And in all honesty, coming from a grassroots candidate, I very much am aware of screaming and yelling and fighting and calling names got us absolutely nowhere. So I have grown as a person. My eyes have been open to the real politics that happen in Lansing and the lack of respect for our leadership in Lansing and the dynamics, right? You have 
I used to think that it was just the party and the leaders. And now I see there's four components. We have grassroots, we have the GOP, we have Lansing, and then we have the average voter who, in all honesty, knocking doors knows nothing about the other three entities. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see a future for Michigan Leadership Group right now. I think my husband will always stay engaged. He is a delegate. Um, but our focus right now is my candidacy, um, my district, me being present in my community. You mentioned the Republican Party there a second. I, I want to go back to that if I could, because uh, you mentioned the screaming and yelling really didn't get you anywhere. What, what do you think the future of the Republican Party should be, and, and who do you think should be kind of the leader of maybe the statewide apparatus? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, the leader of the party in Michigan has to be number one, first and foremost, a leader. They have to know how to lead and they have to know how to raise money and finding that person that has those attributes. I don't agree with 10 people throwing their hat in the ring. Um, I don't, I think that we need to get behind one or two candidates, really vet them, see what their background is, what they're going to bring to the table their ability to lead by example and the ability for them to have meetings that actually bring about change and concepts and activate people. Uh, there's a lot of sitting around and talking and complaining and there's no action. And um, I don't have time for that. And I know that our community doesn't have time for that. So right now we need to be looking for someone that can be that person. And as far as the looking forward in the Republican Party, I think a lot of lessons have been learned. Um, and I hope that we continue to grow. I know that uh, a lot of the districts and we have all these new incoming reps and a lot of the districts because of the redistricting formulated some solid 50-50 districts where mm -hmm. if you are going to be either a Democrat or a Republican representing that district, you better know how to work across the aisle and be the person that's going to be the voice for your Democrat constituents and your Republican constituents. That's when right. looking at party chair, you know, you talked about the most important quality for a candidate coming forward is being a leader. Do you think out of the pool that we have so far, you see one person that kind of stands out and fills that role? I have not given much thought to that. I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm going to start looking into that. Um, right now, we do have some county conventions coming up. I'm eager to see what my role will be on uh the county committee that are the state committee, which uh, being a state representative I have. So we actually have our Monroe County convention this evening. And then uh, we actually haven't even gotten a call to convention for Wayne County. And that, that concerns me. I'm really concerned about the fracturing in Wayne County. I know we're a very large county and we have three separate entities, the 12th, the 13th and the 6th. I'm in the 6th. And that's something that concerns me too. We don't have somebody that's chair or is over the entire county and the way we were broken up, the dynamics are very different. For example, in my sixth congressional district, it starts in Northville, takes an L down to our straight line down to Belleville and then over to Grozeal. So um, what we have in common, you know, people from maybe Grozeal and people in Northville is very different. So looking for, I'm more concerned about the county right now and getting a chair for our county that can represent that entire community and give representation from down river into the sixth congressional. That's really my focus right now. So I'm, I mean, I'm going to be looking into um, who I would get behind for chair, but right now I haven't even really given it any thought. In the past, hasn't the Republican party in Wayne County 
split it up based on congressional districts? It did. It did. And when I got involved, I thought this is confusing. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, the, the, at that time there was the Wayne 12th congressional district, then there was the Wayne 12th and then the Washtenaw 12th. And even still, um, I'm hearing that we're still going to be split into the Wayne six congressional and the Wayne six local. Um, you try to look up legislation or look up bylaws. And all I hear from people is Wayne County kind of does their own thing. I'm not really comfortable with that. I, I don't like that. And I feel like that's where we lost um, a lot of Republican votes in Wayne County because we don't have strong leadership in Wayne County. Well, we'll uh, keep an eye on that as well, because uh, obviously Oakland County has had different congressional districts and they seem to be able to stay unified. And the same thing with Macomb County and um, exactly. And Larkin actually spoke with uh, Vance Patrick, who's running for Oakland County chair. And um, he was telling me the same thing that, you know, based on population, they're only not very far off from us. Right. So what is going on with Wayne County? That's what I want to know. Well, congratulations on your victory. And we look forward to covering you and watching <laughs> what you do in Lansing. Thank you. You guys are going to see a lot of me when it comes to helping our families and helping our uh, small business owners downriver. So I'm very excited to get to Lansing and begin work and represent my community to the best of my ability. So thank you very much. Jamie Thompson, she is the state representative elect in the 28th district. We're going to move now to the podcast segment where we're going to name our political figure of the year. Now, the criteria for political figure of the year is who was the most effective, impactful, and had the highest level of activity for the year 2022. This is an award that we give out every two years. We give it out during election years. So 2022 is political figure of the year. And then in the odd years, we do freshman legislator of the year. So this year, 2022 is political figure of the year based on those criteria. We're going to have five nominations and we're going to have nominations from folks in the MERS team. We're going to start off with Samantha Schreiber, our Senate reporter. Samantha, let's go ahead with your nomination for political figure of the year. I'm going to kick off my nomination for Royal Oak Democratic Senator Malik McMorrow with a line she gave at the Gridian Dinner in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. She said, let me start by saying that I got my hair done, especially for tonight, not because this is such a fancy dinner. I did it because that way Republicans could actually see a red wave. She's a redhead, by the way. <laughs> When I think of Senator Mallory McMorrow, I think of the unapologetic theory of female suburban voters. Uh, during April, McMorrow was obviously catapulted into national headlines when a fundraising mailer connected to conservative Senator Lana Tice's reelection campaign shared that progressive social media trolls like McMorrow were outraged. They can't groom and sexualize kindergartners or teach that eight-year-olds are responsible for slavery. However, as opposed to the situation entering a pile of controversial campaign emails where its significance is diluted over time, McMorrow gives a speech on the Senate floor that goes viral. And then we witness the colossal size generation of the hate won't win election crusade in Michigan. 
So not only did McMorrow embody the message that female suburban voters could not be persuaded by what became Republicans' go-to messaging on LGBTQ youths and critical race theory, with the November election results proving that, uh, she became a financial artery for the Democratic Party and their historic journey to flip the state Senate for the first time since the early 1980s. An outcome, I can admit, multiple political observers were not anticipating. Between her hate-won't-win political action committee, her individual candidate committee, and by directing her followers to the Michigan Senate Democratic Fund and the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, McMorrow raised more than $2.35 million over a six-month period. There were more than 15,000 individual donations made during this time, coming from across the United States of an average donation size of $88. So, you know, however, these facts are just slices of who McMorrow is. Uh, she is currently the minority vice chair of the Senate Economic and Small Business Development Committee, uh, serving as the top-ranking Democratic voice when it comes to future economic growth and investment in Michigan. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there's just so many different issues that she stayed very devoted on throughout this election period. Um, you know, in conclusion to this, I think McMorrow's legacy from 2022 is changing the game around how to spearhead a sort of fundraising onslaught for the advancement of your party, while also being accessible to the media and your constituents and dedicated to your issues as you do so. Thank you, Samantha. We're going to switch over to our house reporter now and Danielle James. Danielle, who's your nominee? Yes, I'm very excited to be here for my first annual political figure of the year. And for my first nomination, I decided to go with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. I chose Benson because she had a very successful shortening of, you know, Secretary of State wait times post-pandemic and a lot of other positive action in her first term. And, you know, she was also able to do this while combating a national and statewide election rejection movement. Despite the prevalence of this movement, she was also able to secure a re-election win with a 55% lead over you know, her opponent, Christina Caramo. And then to top it all off, she introduced the vintage Michigan plates, which have been seen you know, all across the state, and I think are a great way to highlight some of her accomplishments in her first term. Good call on the vintage plates, Danielle. And Andrew Miniger is here. He's nodding his head. He likes these. I do. They, I'm old enough to remember the the old plates, and that, that just brings back a lot of memories. Your vintage. <laughs> <laughs> Says the oldest man in the room. <laughs> well, there's also a story behind the vintage plates, which I can dive into after we hear Andrew. Oh, we got a minute. Samantha, what is it? So, you know, I'm kind of talking about the history of these vintage plates. I'm going to quote a WRKR article. Uh, Turns out it's a tribute to a Detroit woman who died fighting for civil rights. Her name was Viola, uh, and she was fighting across the United States for equality for everyone and was driving her old vehicle that had one of the vintage plates uh, to Alabama in 1965 uh, to march on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on March 7th. Uh, and unfortunately though, very tragically, uh, she was shot in the head by a vehicle full of four members of the KKK who were chasing down her vehicle. I love the the vintage plates and I love the story behind it, but my one issue with them is I'm a Michigan State grad and the maize and blue just sort of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of with you on that one. I'm a sucker for history, but yeah, I kind of like the blue and white ones if we're talking about historical plates. 
But getting back to Jocelyn Benson, we kind of got on a sidebar here. You know, Jocelyn Benson did get more votes than Gretchen Whitmer. So if you're taking a look at the candidate who got the most votes in our 2022 election, it was Jocelyn Benson. And she did win more counties than Gretchen Whitmer or Dana Nessel. So congratulations on her. She did have a successful year. And, and of all the three statewides, her race seemed to be the one that was most um, out of reach for the Republicans. So uh, she did indeed have a, a very, very good year. Andrew Miniger is here in studio. So, Andrew, where are you going with your nominee for political figure of the year? So my nomination is the current head of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation and chair of the Michigan Strategic Fund, Quentin Messer, Jr., um, the reason I went with this is uh, there have been billions of dollars pouring into the Michigan uh, for the state to attract, to grow business, uh, boost uh, the economy, and a lot of that money has gone through the MEDC. Um, one of the biggest inputs for the year was passed in December of last year. It's the, the Strategic Outreach and Attraction Reserve, or SOAR funding. And this has been a huge boost to the Michigan economy. One of the biggest drivers of that has been Messer. And he's been in the trenches, you know, with the, with the Republicans in the legislature, with the, the Democratic governor. And, you know, she's kind of drug him into the, the limelight. And every time one of these big things passes or he, you know, is able to attract a, a, a massive business to Michigan. She drags him out into the into the the limelight, and he waves. But you know, it's he has his head down and and is just getting the job done. You know, it's uh, it's kind of why I'm nominating nominating him for this award. Well, when you take a look at your 2022 and what substantively got done. You look at the SOAR fund, and that was where the conversation was. It was business attraction, bringing in an expansion with General Motors, or whether it was bringing in this plan up in Big Rapids. The conversation around the SOAR fund and, and bringing in people really kind of dominated conversation and was one of the few things I think you can point to as something the legislature got done. Or you can take a look at and say, well, some of these last fundings, well, they haven't quite approved them yet. But at the head of that has been Quentin Messer and has been um, the one who's really driving the train and getting this work done as a representative of the MEDC. Well, even outside of uh, uh, abortion, if it weren't for abortion, I, I think that uh, the the economic issue would have been the biggest issue you know, out there this election cycle. So... I mean, this would have played heavily into it as well, in in my opinion, at least. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a that's one of those driving factors that you know would have would have set and other other parties up for. And for folks who haven't talked with him, I've sat down with him a couple of times. He is just laser focused, and he is super serious about about his job and his mission over at MEDC. And it's it's just fascinating to watch because he is just I mean, he's hardwired for this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it, like I said, head down. I mean, he is against the wind. Doesn't matter what's going on around him. All right. Well, John, let's uh, go ahead and get your nomination for political figure of the year. All right. This year I am going to nominate uh, Lavora Barnes, the chairwoman of the Michigan Democratic Party. She has held uh, the reins of the Democratic Party since 2019. She is the first African-American woman to hold that post. 
And and during that time, she prior even to this election cycle, she's already played a pivotal role in turning Michigan from a presidential red state following uh, Donald Trump's victory here back to its more traditional stance as a blue state with Joe Biden's win in 2020. Remember prior to Trump, the uh, only Republican presidential candidate to carry the state of Michigan was way back in, in the early 90s, George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, but this year was actually her biggest accomplishment. Uh, the party played a key role in coordinating uh, uh, messaging uh, and, and accomplishing something that Democrats haven't been able to do in the state of Michigan since I was 14 years old, and that's hold a majority in the state house, hold a majority in the state senate, and retain the governor's office uh, with Governor Gretchen Whitmer winning a second term. Uh, to show how long it's been since that accomplishment has, has, has taken place, uh, when winners are sworn in or take office on January 1, it will have been 14,277 days since the Democrats <laughs> controlled all three uh, legs of the stool that is state government. And let's not forget, uh, besides the legislature, uh, they held uh, the Secretary of State's office, which we've already talked about, the Attorney General's office. They swept all the education races. Uh, there's, there's lots uh, I could go on and on about uh, what happened this year as far as the Democrats' uh, success. But that doesn't happen without coordination. It doesn't happen without a party that isn't or is free of, of division and backbiting and fighting. And clearly the Democratic Party this year did not have that. Uh, obviously, LaVora Barnes had a lot of good things going for her. She had strong incumbents, the top three seats. Uh, she had Prop 3, which put wind at their backs. Uh, but she still had to be the one that coordinated it all together. So that's why I'm nominating LaVora Barnes for Political Figure of the Year. Thanks, John. In the past, we have always nominated folks and individuals for this award. And I really wanted to find the one individual who is responsible for Proposal 3 and Reproductive Freedom for All. But every time I, I asked, who is the figure? Who is the person who is kind of driving the train for Proposal 3? I kept getting steered back to the fact that this was a group effort, that there were many people who were involved in what became Proposal 3. And so that's why I'm going to nominate this year an organization, Reproductive Freedom for All, the organization that led the charge for Proposal 3. Back in 2021, the leadership team there at Planned Parenthood looked ahead and saw a U.S. Supreme Court that was posed to overturn Roe v. Wade, which had the practical impact of returning oversight over abortions to the states. And in Michigan, the operating statute regarding abortion regulations with a 1931 law, which allows for the termination of a pregnancy only in cases in which the life of the mother was at risk. So proactively, Planned Parenthood filed a motion with the courts this past April that sought to invalidate the 1931 law as being unconstitutional. This is before the U.S. Supreme Court made its decision. So proactively went out there. It asked the Court of Claims for an injunction to temporarily freeze the law until the matter could be thoroughly litigated, which it won in May, about a month before Dobbs came out. So the Planned Parenthood action made it possible that no woman in Michigan had uh, missed access to an abortion if she wanted one. Now, the ACLU and the governor also came aboard on the legal process, but Planned Parenthood got the ball rolling on this legal front. Now, as far as reproductive freedom for all, there is the executive director at ACLU, Lauren Kogali, and Summer Foster at Michigan Voices, 
got together and started this whole ballot proposal discussion and putting into the Constitution abortion access and making that a fundamental right. Again, this initiative started well before the Dobbs decision. It was proactive in anticipation of what they felt the Supreme Court of the United States was going to do. Uh, Bencito uh, Kitaba at the ACLU crafted the ballot language. Shelley Weisberg helped rally the initial petition circulators. And then working with Nicole Wells Stallworth over at Planned Parenthood, the C4 called Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan, which is different from regular Planned Parenthood. These groups were proactive in preparing for the Dobbs decision by getting language approved by the canvassers, circulating petitions well before the June 24 decision. The petition drive gave people who were angry with the ruling an outlet to do something, gave them something to do, and the petition circulating collection numbers exploded as the number of circulators doubled in a matter of two weeks. By the time Reproductive Freedom for All filed their signatures, they had they claimed they had 900,000, but it ended up being 750,000. Either way, far in excess of anything they needed and well more than any ballot proposal had ever collected in the state of Michigan. So once given the name Proposal 3, again, the campaign committee raised more than $44 million to pass constitutionally protected abortion access that was framed by opponents as being the most expansive in the country. Even though they had strong pushback from the Catholic Church and Right to Life, Proposal 3 won with 56.6% of the vote. It passed in 26 counties, which is eight more than where the governor won, and it received more votes than the governor or any statewide elected official, including Jocelyn Benson. Planned Parenthood and its allies were able to harness the energy and use it to not only pass the reform it wanted, but help political allies like Governor Whitmer, Attorney General Dana Nessel, and the Democratic legislative candidates win their election. Without offering an opinion on the substance of the proposal, this group showed an ability to be effective, impactful, while displaying a high degree of activity. And so for these reasons, I'd like to nominate Planned Parenthood and the whole team at the Reproductive Freedom for All as the political figure of the year. All right, so now I'm going. we're going to uh, play the um, uh, Jeopardy music. And <laughs> there you go. You already kind of got it. Here we go. I'm going to phase right into that, and we'll be back in just a second. Okay, we've had our discussion here at MERS World Headquarters, and we have agreed that our political figure of the year will be reproductive freedom for all. And uh, Andrew, I, I, you know, this is going to be a break for us because usually a political figure, you think of a person, but it's just hard to ignore the impact that this group had on the ballot top to bottom this year in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. They brought out the uh, the young folks. I mean, there were people stand there were you know people standing in line at MSU and U of M and Ann Arbor you know all college age kids that were waiting to vote and uh, the one issue that really brought them out was the abortion issue and reproductive freedom for all i mean their campaign was as you said one of the most effective in michigan history 
And if it wasn't for them being proactive, Danny, um, we might not have ever voted on it anyway. There was only three states in the country that voted on abortion on November 2022, Michigan being one of them. Getting this on the ballot, the historic amount of signatures, but also watching the way it motivated voters, you know, especially young voters on college campuses to come out and vote blue. I think that really shows why Planned Parenthood deserves this. Um, looking at, I recovered Brody Hall on election night, November 8th. And I think at around midnight, there was still a line of several hundred people out the door kind of waiting to do same day registration and get in there and vote. And I think that really says something. Sam, this had an impact on candidates up and down the ballot, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to reference back to who I nominated, Senator McMorrow, for a second, uh, because the week of the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, she had spoken on the Senate floor about, you know, how after she had given birth to her daughter, she had placed an IUD that punctured her uterus, and she required a DNC procedure. Now, a DNC procedure does fall under the umbrella of, you know, what is defined as abortion care. So she had brought up the point if you know, a 1931 abortion ban does become active in Michigan. What does this mean for these types of procedures? Could they potentially be banned from medical curriculum for learning medical healthcare professionals in this state? And not only that, but her and other candidates were able to um, have something and have a rallying cry going into the 2022 election. Uh, So not only functionally, but politically, this was something that gave candidates something to strive for and gave energy to an electric that really helped everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my, I think a a very unique moment of me covering the Roe v. Wade being overturned was during the springtime when that draft had been leaked. And Mallory McMorrow was speaking at an event and it was drizzling rain. And all of these people were gathered outside of the Capitol, kind of wearing their pink scarves and hats, just, you know, really upset about what this draft could mean when, you know, how this reality could come to fruition. And she had said, you know, I believe it was along the lines of, I feel like I've been punched in the damn uterus. But, you know, I mean, these candidates definitely really made abortion their centerpiece of their campaign. And, you know, I'm not just talking about Senator McMorrow, but I'm talking about Democratic candidates up and down the list that, You know, the way that people talk about abortion since the fall of Roe v. Wade is significantly different than what we could have imagined for, you know, four years ago, if not eight years ago. Absolutely. And uh, Whitmer was able to frame, you know, uh, Tudor Dixon with that issue as uh, right out of the gate as being, you know, extreme on abortion, which really helped her in the in the polls. And uh, she glommed onto that issue. Um, almost immediately. Very good. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, participating in our nominations. Next week, we are going to do Democratic Legislator of the Year, an award, John, that it looks like we're going to have to rename for 2023 because we've always given it to the person in the minority who has been the most effective as a legislator in the last calendar year. Uh, But the minority is going to change. That's right. So I guess it's going to be... Republican yeah. Legislator of the Year next year. That's right. But uh, it will be Democratic Legislator of the Year, so uh, you can tune in next week to hear that. Post-production of the MERS Monday podcast is by Mark Bayshore Audio and Okemos. Also, thanks to AT&T for sponsoring this and all our other podcasts. Uh, for the boss, John Rurink, and the rest of the crew, I'm Kyle Malin. Until next week, take care. <laughs>